Joel 2, 18 through 27. Praise God. This is God's word. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. And the stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory, Lord, and we thank you for that time of worship. And Lord, worship does not end when the singing stops, but we are even worshiping now. We want to worship you as we hear your word, as we open our hearts to hear what you have to say in your scriptures. So Lord God, we worship you. Father, speak, open our hearts wide, fill it with faith, be with everyone here and those joining online. Lord God, we need you. We need to hear from you. We are desperate for you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, praise God. Well, it's great to be back uh, worshiping with all of you guys. And if you weren't here last week, you're like, where'd you go? <laughs> well, last week I wasn't here because I went to the Garden Church, which is the church that sent us out to here. Uh, they're the mother church, I guess you could call it that. And although it was always a blessing to see them, I had a great time there. Uh, worshiping with them. I really missed you guys. I really missed being here. I told my wife that right when I got back because I realized, you know, every time I go away, this is my favorite place to be on Sunday mornings. It really is. I really want to be here every Sunday morning. That's a good thing, amen? Because <laughs> I'm called to be here. And for the rest of you, uh, you were in good hands with our leaders and you were also in good hands with our guest speaker. So I'm very thankful to uh, Tom McMillan. I don't know if you're going to ever hear this, Tom. But uh, thank you for coming out and making time, bringing God's word. I look forward to continuing that relationship with him so you might see him more often. Well, Tom, he came here last week and he was gracious enough to preach on Joel 2, 12 through 17 while I was gone. And when I met with him, I told him, you don't have to do this, Tom. You know, I'm in Joel. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have messages ready on the book of Joel. And he's like, no, I want to. You know, Joel is cool. He didn't actually say that, but that's the impression I got. He's like, Joel's cool, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And so he uh, prepared this message on Joel 2, 12 through 17. And so I'm so encouraged that we did not have to miss a beat. Okay, even while I was gone, we went right, continuing to the next passage. And last week, Tom talked about returning to God who relents from judgment. 
And if you've been with us all along, then you know that God's judgment had come upon Israel for their idolatry. And how? Through a swarm of locusts, a locust plague descended upon the land of Israel. It brought great famine and death. And all of that pointed to a greater judgment that would come in the form of this eschatological army. In other words, this last day's army coming from the north. And so Joel saw this army in a vision marching into the land of Israel towards Jerusalem and leaving, and as they came in, they left behind them a wasteland, literally undoing creation itself. So this massive judgment had come upon God's people for their idolatry, the rebellion against God. They had left the true God, ran after other gods. And Joel, he came with the word of the Lord, and he said, this is the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. And it pointed to an even greater day of the Lord, this eschatological army that would come in the future. So this was a totally shocking message. And this is what we've been looking at. And the reason is because Joel, when he came, he said, you're living just like the world, not like the people of God. You have, to let, you have left the one true God for other gods. And because of that, what should have been a great day of salvation has now become what? A day of judgment. A day of judgment. So that would have been utterly shocking. The Israelites would have said, how can this be? The day of the Lord is supposed to be salvation, right? Not judgment. It's supposed to be a great day of rejoicing and restoration. And isn't this what we believe about ourselves? Right? If you think about Jesus coming back, and we all believe that hopefully. But when Jesus comes back, that will be the great day of the Lord. I mean, are you thinking that's going to be a terrible day for you? No. We're all thinking, no, that's the day we're waiting for. That's the day of our salvation of restoration, of great joy. And the Jews believed the same thing. They didn't believe in Christ, but they knew a day of the Lord was coming, the great day. And they thought of it as a good thing, but then Joel said, no, it's a day of judgment if you're living just like the world. So this would have been shocking, even scandalous for the Jews, but with God, it never ends there, amen? That is not the message of the Bible. It doesn't just end there. That is just the first half. But now, starting in Joel chapter 2, especially verse 12, Tom preached on this last week, the message switches, and Joel now says, Yet even now, yet even now, with the true people of God, no matter what crisis they face, no matter what judgment they have received because of sin, if they tear their hearts in repentance, if they turn back to God with their whole hearts, then there is always A yet even now. This is the gospel. There is always a yet even now. And those three great great words, they signal this great turning point with God. There is a turning. So if you find yourself in a great crisis, and we've been looking at things that are happening in the world, but also in our own lives, but if you're facing crisis and it's revealed sin in your life, and because of that you respond with a tearing of your heart, you're repenting, you're mourning, you turn back to God with your whole heart, then you know what? God's going to say to you, yet even now. These are words that you should look for. God will say to you, yet even now. But what does that mean though? Yet even now what? Well, yet even now, I will reverse my judgment on you. That's what Joel's talking about in chapter 2. Yet even now, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Yet even now, God is saying, I'm going to bring a great reversal 
and a restoration for my people. Okay, this is God's word to each of us if we repent in that time of crisis. So this brings us right up to our passage today, Joel 2, 18 through 27. And our passage, and we're going to look at it for two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday. But our passage is really about the great reversal of God's judgment on his people. See, up until now, we've been hearing about God's judgment, right? Well, starting in chapter 2, verse 18, is getting reversed. There's a great reversal. And there's a great restoration of God's blessings. And this turning point is beautifully summarized by verse 25. I'm going to read it again. This is what the whole book of Joel is famous for. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So today I want to look more closely at this turning point. I want to look at the years that are lost, the years that were lost for the Israelites, and then next week we're going to look at the years that get restored, right? But there's a great turning that happens for God's people who hear God and repent and come back to him. So first, the years lost. The years lost. We learn for the first time in the book of Joel that the devastation of the locusts, it didn't last for just days or weeks, not even months. But for the first time, we realize they lasted for years, right? This devastation. So look at Joel 2.25. This is God speaking now. He said, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. So Joel said years, right? Years were eaten by the locusts. Now, of course, locusts, they're bugs. They don't eat years literally, right? Nothing can eat up literal time. But what they did do is they came and they ate the fruit of the land. They devastated the economy and the well-being of the nation. And because of that devastation, it took Israel years to recover. So all that time before the locusts came, of them sowing and reaping and growing the harvest, all of that time they should have had enjoying the harvest once they reaped it. All of that time, they should have had increasing the harvest in the following years to come. All of that was wasted. This is the years that the locusts were eating. So the locust-eaten years were wasted years. They were lost years. Because these bugs came, billions of them, and ate up all the crops. You know, I heard economists say that COVID and the recession that is probably coming next year, because of COVID and other things like bad policies, economists are saying that this will result in a lost decade of growth. So that would be one example of locust-eaten years. We're talking about lost years, wasted years. Years that are lost forever through the hourglass of time. You know, two Sundays ago, I talked about redeeming the time, and I said money is not the most precious resource in our life, right? Because you can lose all your money and make it all back. You could lose it again and make it all back. But time, once it's lost, is gone forever. Right? You never make back lost time. Because God in his sovereignty, he has determined when we'll be born and when we're going to die, and we have a limited, fixed amount of time. And so this is no small thing, to lose time. Once you lose it, it's gone forever. And so when Joel came and said, God's judgment is on you, and the locusts have eaten up not just months, but years That is no small thing. Israel lost years of economic prosperity. 
Okay, but this was so much more than economic loss. Because these locusts, they represented what? Okay, we're not just talking about bugs eating up a lot of harvest here. But ultimately, they represented the consequences of Israel's sin, right? Because the locusts came, why? Because of their sin. So the locusts represented the consequences of sin. And the consequences of sin still go about the world devouring years out of people's lives today. This is still happening today. We're not just talking about Israel and harvest and economic prosperity. We're talking about sin and the consequences of sin in people's lives, eating and devouring years out of people's lives. So sinning and the consequences of sinning produce one wasted year and then another and then another and over time, this hollows out people's lives. Have you ever seen people? I'm talking about people who have maybe lived for a while. Even younger people, you see this. But you kind of look at their faces. A lot of celebrities have this, but their eyes look kind of vacant, right? It's like, what are you on? Like, what are you on? I mean, you're like in front of hundreds of people in this interview, and you're just kind of like vacant. Their face just kind of has this hollowed out look. This is what we're talking about. But it hollows out people's lives. It leaves behind only a barren wasteland. It leaves behind not even one grape of spiritual fruit. What I'm talking about is there's nothing in those years that will last into eternity. Nothing that will bring glory to God. Nothing that will lead another soul to the grace of God. These are utterly wasted years, locust-eaten years. But we need to get more specific than that. But what are some examples of how sin can waste years of our lives? Okay, well, what does this look like? Well, if you go to chapter 2, verse 25, God mentioned the same catalog of locusts that he mentioned in chapter 1. If you read that verse, you'll see the same list of locusts, right? The cutter, the swarming locusts, all these locusts. So when God said, I will restore to you the years, I believe that you is referring back to the same groups of people back in chapter 1 because he's mentioning the same locusts that he mentioned in chapter 1. So he's kind of referring back to this previous chapter. So more specifically, I believe that he's referring back to the same groups of people that Joel called out in chapter 1 when he said, you, I will restore to you. Okay, who's this you? It's the same groups in chapter 1, I believe. So we can learn something by going back to these groups again and looking more closely at their sin. Okay, what, what was the sin of these different groups of people that ate up their years, that hollowed them out, that now God is saying, I will restore? But sin hollows people out, right? So what are some examples of how sin can waste years of people's lives? Well, first, there were the elderly especially the elderly who grew old without God. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, Joel called these people out. He said, hear this, you elders, give ear. In other words, he's saying, listen, pay attention. I want you to gain true understanding and true wisdom. And when Joel finally called these people out, who knows how long they've been living in the land, under the sunlight of God's covenant, And yet all the while, they were trusting in their own wisdom. They were making decisions for their lives into old age, trusting in the way that they were living their lives. Maybe some of them even were not even saved. They were Jews living in Israel, not even saved. 
and yet they had grown old. And I remember Charles Spurgeon talking about this one time, and this is how he describes someone who grows old without God. But he said, How sad to be old and unsaved, feeble with age and yet without strength unto God. He is really sad. And we say this with compassion, we want them to be saved, but to see a person growing older and older and there's no God in their life. I can't imagine anything more sad than that. But these are people who had lived their entire lives pursuing goals they thought were good, right? And nobody lives their life thinking, oh, I'm going to wreck my life and do stupid things. They end up doing that. But everyone says, no, I'm going to pursue things that are good. I'm going to make decisions that, are, that I think are wise. I'm going to spend energy on the things that are good that will make me happy and bring happiness. And yet all these people, without God, the result is a barren wasteland. It's utterly wasted. It is a wasteland when it comes to God and what matters most. And so when, so when God looks down on these people from the perspective of, of eternity, they had wasted all their best years. So think about somebody who has grown old with no sense of God, and maybe they heard about God, maybe they even grew up in a Christian home, but they just left it all, and now they are 30, 40, 50, 60, well into their senior years, and they do not have God. All those years they could have known God, right? All those years they could have served the living God, giving their lives to the greatest things, doing things that will last into eternity, and they wasted it all. Even as they're building families, maybe starting businesses, making lots of money, and yet from eternity's perspective, it was wasted. And so instead of doing all these things year after year for God, they were dead to God. They spent their years working hard, not for God, but for sin. They were working hard for the things that will not last. And I'll be honest with many of you, that's what you're doing. You're working very hard for things that will not last. You know, I remember John Piper, he was sharing this one story one time uh, in this book, Don't Waste Your Life. <laughs> it's the perfect title for the sermon. But, I, but he shared this story of when he was a young boy, he remembers sitting in his uh, dad's church, his dad was a pastor, and he was in service, and towards the end of the service, the dad gave an altar call like he did every Sunday, and this old man stood up, and he carefully walked down the aisle and then he knelt in the front in front of everyone he accepted Christ now a lot of people had done that in previous Sundays and that's nothing new but what really stood out that Sunday is Piper said he noticed right in the front row he was sitting there and he kept hearing the old man with tears in his eyes he kept repeating I've wasted it all I've wasted it all I've wasted it all And what that old man meant is, he is an old man now. And now, shortly before death, he finally met Christ and received him as Lord. And he's like, what did I do with my life? And by the way, we should never look down and despise old people because guess what? Today's young people are tomorrow's old people, right? It's the joke that gets played on all of us. So we never despise or condescend old people. It's kind of like one of those videos where like someone's staring into the mat bathroom mirror and then it's kind of a time elapsed photo right and within seconds you see that face growing older and older that's literally how I feel I'm in my 40s now and I'm like what is going on I feel like I'm a 20 year old and yet I see gray hair I start I'm seeing bags under my eyes you know but this happens to all of us and for this man he's like what happened to my life and I'm meeting Christ now I've wasted it all I've wasted it all so that scene left a mark on the young John Piper And so he shared about it. 
But guess what? That picture is not only about someone who received Christ late in life, but that can also be a picture of somebody who received Christ early on, and they received the grace of God. They were filled by the Spirit. They, they heard the call of God, and then for whatever reason, they kind of just drifted away from that. And then they go from this to that and begin to live life, doing other things. And even though they were found and brought home by God, they still wandered around life as if they were still lost. And so for even people like that, these are years that the locusts have eaten. These are wasted years. So it's not just the elderly, but even the younger people who know the Lord and yet they begin to drift. These are wasted years. So this would be the elderly, but that's not all. But, but Joel also called out the drunkard. Okay, so these are younger people. I just mentioned how even younger people can waste their years, right? Well, these are the younger people. These are people still in the prime of life, and Joel called them out in verse 5, if you look there. Joel said, awake, you drunkards. And we already looked at these people a few weeks ago, but they are who? They are people who took their lives for granted. Okay, they were living off the land. They were living for the moment. They were taking God's blessings for granted. And so these are people in the prime of their life, and they wake up each day with no purpose whatsoever. Okay, their purpose each day is to just fill their appetite. Okay, whatever tickles them that day, whatever catches their eye that day, that is what they're going to be all about. So one day is about binging on social media. The next day is about just finishing that TV show, that series that you started on Netflix. The next day is about going from shop to shop, looking for the taste, tastiest thing that you can find. The next day is satisfying your sexual needs, whether clicking on something online or pursuing that boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it may be. The next day is meeting up with friends, Get laughing and fighting with one another as the day turns into night. So you get the picture. Okay, this is how so many people live. But day after day, week after week, year after year, okay, this is their lives. And again, what is this? These are wasted years. Okay, these are the years that the locusts have eaten. And I remember when I was younger, I was at this restaurant in L.A., and I met some people, and they were friends of friends. And I remember I didn't really know them, so I was just kind of listening to their conversation. And I remember... One guy started talking to this other guy, and he started saying, you know what, I'm going to drive up to San Francisco to check out this club because I just, you know, came from this other club in L.A., and I want to check this other one. And the guy that he was talking to, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I've seen all the clubs here in L.A. as well. Uh, when are you going to go to the one up north? And this other guy said, tonight. And so the friend said, okay, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> and just like that, they were gone. I'm like, really? Like at 9.30 at night, you're going to drive to San Francisco to go check out a club? After having been to other clubs the same night? And so this is what we're talking about. These are more locusting years. Okay, these are people in their prime, busy doing nothing. Okay, busy at nothing. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible called false prophets clouds without rain. Clouds that just drift from here to there with no call from God. No purpose in God. I think that's a perfect description of these people. Okay, they're just living for their appetites day after day after day. And you know what? They might even have a good job. They might even be in a good school, you know, taking classes. They might even come to Promise Church. I don't know, right? They're, they're Christian even. And yet day after day, you look at the way they're living their lives, and they're just living for that next thing, their appetites. And unfortunately, this does not describe only non-believers, but also a lot of Christians today. 
So this would be another group that God says the locust has eaten many, many years. Okay, this is the consequence of sin. But that's not all. But Joel also then called out the ministers. Okay, the ministers. If you look at verse 9, Joel called the ministers to mourn. The priests mourn, wail, put on sackcloth. And so these are people who should know God, they should have God, and yet they only have religion. They have a profession of faith, but little else. So these are people who give lip service to God's grace, but they really live under this yoke of good works. They say they know the gospel, they believe in it, but there's really no gospel in them. Everything, they are spending their years being religious, they're trying to keep up their good reputations, They're spending all their time and energy carefully manicuring the outside of their lives while for some reason ignoring the inside of their hearts. And the reason why is because oftentimes these people, they are looking past themselves to the people around them. And so they're busy, right? Again, they're busy doing nothing, but they are busy looking at everyone else, examining, critiquing all of their flaws. These are also people who have the doctrines of grace, but they really never take a hold of them. The Bible talks about people who are constantly learning and yet knowing nothing, right? They don't understand anything. And so how many Christians are like that? They're constantly learning, constantly hearing sermons, constantly going through Bible studies, and yet knowing nothing. And so these would be the same people. They're always studying God, but never drawing near to God. So their whole lives, they might live in the church, and yet they never know the living God. I can't think of anything sadder than that. Okay, this might be even sadder than those people who just go from club to club, appetite to appetite. It's like you went to church your whole life, and you don't know the living God. You are constantly hearing sermons, studying the word of God, and yet you understand nothing. So these would be these people. And these are also wasted years. Okay, these are the years that the locusts have eaten. But it's not just the religious hypocrites, right, who waste their years. But it's also people in the church. These are also people, believers, who live under condemnation. Going back to people who know the gospel, but they never take a hold of it. But these are Christians, they're not hypocrites, but they live under condemnation, even though they're standing between the gospel and the spirit, kind of like two pillars. So they're right there in between the gospel and the spirit, and yet they're under condemnation. They're always a victim to their circumstances. They have the Spirit of God living within them and all the promises of God, and yet day after day, their thoughts are drawn to, if I only had a better boss, right? If I only just had more money, a higher salary, if I only had a major I liked, if if I had professors that were interesting, if I could only buy that house in that neighborhood, they're a victim to their genetics. If I could only just be prettier, People are obsessed over that. If I could just be taller, smarter, more disciplined. Okay, why am I not disciplined? Oh, mom and dad, it's your fault, right? You go home to see them, you're like, oh, I see where I'm, you know, struggling. It's it's their fault. Okay, they're a victim to their fears. Okay, they have fears of failing. They have fears of succeeding. They have fears of going too hard after God. They have fears of going too soft after God. Okay, they have fears about money, fears about relationships, Fears about their work, their jobs, school. Fears about their kids. And by the way, you can replace the word fears with worries. But I'm talking about Christians, okay? They're, again, they're standing between the two pillars of the gospel and the spirit, and yet they're under condemnation. 
And so what is this? These are also wasted years. These are years that the locusts have eaten. And again, I can't think of anything sadder than a person who is that close in the church. And yet what has happened to all these years? Right? What, what has happened to all the years God has given you to live with abundance and a vibrant faith, changing the world by serving him? And so I don't say this with any condemnation. You know, I have compassion for people, especially Christians, who have this kind of chronic fear and chronic worry. I've met a ton of them. You know, I'm a pastor. I get to talk to a lot of people. Okay, we all know how long people can keep fears and worries. It's almost like a pet that they have in their lives. It literally grows old with them. The only way these fears and worries will go away is if, they, if, if it dies of old age, right? If they die of old age. But these are also people with years that the locusts have eaten. He's just utterly wasted. So much time just worrying, 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 fearing, fearing, fearing. When Jesus said, you know, worry as not even one inch to your height, it can't turn one gray hair to black, right? It doesn't do anything to worry. And I heard about this exercise, you might have heard it too, but take all your worries, write them on slips of paper, put them all into a box and put them away. Don't look at them. Don't think about them, and then a month later, open up the box and read through it, and majority of them will probably be taken care of on their own. And yet we're just, oh, oh, right? Again, what is all this? Years the locusts have eaten. Just wasted time. Totally wasted. Producing nothing. Again, busy doing nothing. And so we have compassion, and yet this is just the truth. And so this would be another category that Joel has called out. Okay, the locust has eaten a lot of your years, the, the ministers, the believers in the church. And then, of course, he also called out the farmers, okay, the workers. Okay, if you look at verse 11, Joel called them out. He said, be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers. Okay, I mentioned this in the past, but this is the only group that Joel called them to be ashamed. Okay, be ashamed. And why them? was because more than any other group, their life's work was the most directly devastated by the locusts, right? The locusts came and ate up all the crops and harvest. What did the farmers do? What was their life work? To raise up crops and harvest. So they are the farmers who produced the crops that the locusts devoured. So more than any other group, it is obvious how their years were wasted by the consequences of their sin. Okay, right? This is the most obvious one. So these are the workers. These are the people who are busy. They are diligent. Okay, every morning they wake up before the sun is up. They are working late into the night. They are diligent people. And they're climbing that proverbial ladder up the wrong wall. And so they are working so hard to get to the very top only to find that they're at the wrong building, right? But how can work become such a wasteful pursuit when it's something so good though? I mean, it occupies most of our lives, right? 80% of your life is at work. So how can something that dominates your life that much, that's actually given by God, okay, work is not bad. God gave us work before the fall in Genesis 2. Okay, how can that be such a wasteful pursuit? Well, work inherently is not wasteful. It is incredibly good. Okay, for most of you here, that is going to be the primary way you're going to serve and glorify God is through your work. So work is not bad at all. You don't need to feel guilty about all this time you spend there. Okay, it is a good, and God will use it, and yet it can utterly be wasted. 
All those years getting through residency, all those years getting your degree, all those years teaching those students, building that business, coding, whatever you're doing, right? Looking at people's teeth. All those years preaching, it could be utterly wasted years. Okay, how? Well, work can be wasteful when you begin to believe work as the provider of all good things instead of God. We've looked at this several times in the past. So if someone sees work as the provider of all good things, then work has become what? It's become God to you. It literally is God to you. It is a God that gives you financial security. It is God that gives you things you need. It is a God that gives you a certain kind of life, a God that gives you a level of honor. It gives you significance. It gives you identity. It gives you a meaning in life. It gives you a reason to wake up. And you take that away, and what happens? What happens when God is taken away from your life? It's true of the one true God or any other God. Your life falls apart. You're utterly devastated. And so more than any other group, this was so clear, and this is why Joel said, be ashamed. Okay, this is the shame that Joel's talking about. It's the shame of putting all your hope in work. So work is a God for these people, and they look to it to provide all good things. See, even as we come and worship God, deep in our hearts, God knows the truth. Okay, you say you trust me, but you really are trusting your work though, right? To provide all the financial needs. Yeah, I mean, God provides, but it's really my paycheck. That's what's going to provide everything. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have meaning from God, but, but it's really my work, right? That defines who I am. Yeah, my identity is in Christ, but my identity is really work, right? God really knows what's in our hearts. And the moment that this God is taken away, our life is utterly collapsing. So work is a God for these people, but it doesn't mean that people have a great relationship with work. And the reason is because work is a fickle God. It's a very fickle God. One day, work will say, I love you. I don't know. <laughs> Someone's excited back there. But one day, work will say, I love you. And the, ne the next day, work hates you, right? And by the way, you have the same relationship. One day, you love work. The next day, you hate work. It's a very fickle God. And so you know what happens after time? You begin to hate your God. You hate this God. Even as you depend upon this God. And if a better God comes along, you'll drop it in a heartbeat. And this is why so many people, they have on average five careers in their lifetime. And again, I don't say that to put anyone down. God might have called you to each one. But there's something going on here. But you just drop it in a heartbeat because you come to hate it. And yet you love it and worship it and depend on it. And yet you hate it. And so in extreme cases, this idolatry of work can result in two things. People either become addicted to it. They become very overworked or they reject it altogether. You know, I, I heard this thing online recently. I think it's very new. It's, it's more with the younger people, millennials and Gen Zers. But quiet quitting, have you guys heard of that? Quiet quitting, where you don't literally turn in your slip and leave your company. You're still there working, but basically you've shut down. I show up to work, but I'm a zombie, right? I don't, I, I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to care about this at all. I just punch in and punch out. It's quiet quitting. And millions of people are doing that. Like, I just don't care anymore. I give up. And so this is the logical extension of worshiping work, of making work your God. And so whether you worship work or abandon work, these are wasted years, right? They're utterly wasted. You know, one of the most sad and clear examples of this is Leonard Wolf. But Leonard Wolf, I, I go back to his words often. I don't know why I, I like his quote. 
But Leonard Wolf, he was a British politician in Parliament for many, many years, his whole life almost. He was actually the husband of Virginia Wolf, you know, the great writer. But listen to Leonard Wolf, okay? Listen to an old man. He said, looking back at the age of 88, over 57 years of my political work in England, knowing what I aimed at and the results, mediating on the history of Britain and the world since 1914. That's crazy. He was in government, working for the British government since 1914. I see clearly that I achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the last 57 years would be exactly the same as it is if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. In other words, I wasted my life. I worked so hard for 57 years, debating and arguing and sitting in committees and writing laws, and I look at the world and nothing has changed. He's like, I should have just played ping pong. I would have had the same result. Ping pong's better. I like ping pong. It's fun. (laughs) How sad, right? Again, these are the years that the locusts have eaten. Now compare his words to the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, on the day of the Lord. Paul's like, the day of the Lord is going to be a good day for me. And he's not bragging because he says, and not only to me, but to everyone who also loved his appearing. So, I mean, which one are you going to be? It's your choice. I should have just played ping pong? I mean, why go through all this, like, program and all this, like, crazy stress and waking up in the middle of the night because my pager is going off? And I should have just played ping pong. Again, I'm not saying don't do those things, but I'm saying what, what is your perspective, though, right? Is it going to be that, Leonard Wolf, or is it going to be the Apostle Paul? No, I, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I did God's will for my life, and now I will receive a crown of righteousness by his grace. So what am I saying? This is how people live, brothers and sisters. People live utterly wasted lives. And I know that's a harsh message. It's hard to look at somebody who's trying to do a lot of things and they're earnest. It's like, you're wasting your life. And yet I can't think of anything more loving to say than that. You are wasting your life. You're wasting your life. And I remember hearing this one uh, testimony of a pastor, actually. A pastor who built a church. I heard from from scratch, basically, kind of like this church. It was a church plant. And he built it to a mega church with campuses, multi-campuses, a huge facility, multi-million dollar. And he took a sabbatical one time. He went away for a few months. And then he slipped in quietly one Sunday. He's like, I just want to see what my service is like without people knowing I'm there. And he kind of was excited. He slipped in the back and the lights dimmed. And, you know, the stage lights came on. And then the associate pastor came out. And the whole service began. The worship band. And they were slick. It was high production. And then as the worship service continued to go on and on, this is the pastor's testimony. But he said, I began to get more and more sad. And I think he might have said, I I can't remember exactly, but he, he, he said he started crying in the service, feeling so sad. And the reason why is like, this is what I gave my life for? He said he really didn't sense the presence of God, that this was something that was gonna produce discipleship, true spiritual fruit. And he's like, this is what I gave my life for. And now he was an old pastor, right? What is that? These are wasted years. 
I don't, I don't know what I, I don't know what his story is where he got off on on the right wrong track. But these are wasted years. And so Joel's message clearly is calling people to examine themselves. Okay, how are you living your life? Are you investing your years, your precious years that you will never get back, or are you wasting them? Are you going to be like one of these old men or women who look back on their years going, what, what happened? And yet, Joel's message does not end there, praise God, because this is the gospel. Okay, the gospel never ends there. But Joel's message climaxes not with the years lost, but with what? The years restored, right? With the years restored. And again, let me read Joel 2.25. This is the theme verse of the whole book. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. So here, this is the great turning point in the book of Joel. God's great reversal and restoration starts right here. And this is so important that Joel highlights it in a couple ways. Let me just mention them. But Joel highlights how important this turning is. First, in chapter 1, Joel spoke God's judgment in the third person. So if you were to go back in chapter 1, it's all in the third person. Joel's talking about judgment, the day of the Lord. He says, God has done this. God will bring this. God has brought this. But starting in chapter 2, in our passage... We get God's reversal and restoration, right? Well, that comes in the first person. It begins in the first person. Starting in our passage, God steps in and says, okay, Joel, thank you. <laughs> you, get, you spoke my word for me. Now he steps in and says, I will do this. I will bring this. Do you see that? Okay, this turning, this transformation, this reversal was so important to God that now he had to step in and start speaking it in the first person. So you see that in the book. Very important. Joel also mentioned the order of God's mercies in reverse order from God's judgment in chapter 1. And so everything that we read in chapter 1, all the judgments that started to come upon Israel and the things that they should do. So in chapter 1, Joel started with a call for God's people in Zion to repent, to mourn. And then he ended that chapter talking about the desperate condition of the animals in the land, right? That, that's the judgment on them. Well, now in chapter 2 in our passage, is reversed. He is mentioned in reverse order. But in verses 22 and 23, God first mentions, again, in the first person, he mentions his renewal of the land and the animals. Right? They're going to start thriving. There will be wine and oil and the vats again. There will be abundant harvest. And then he commands his people, don't mourn, don't mourn, rejoice. Right? He ends on that. So, so even just through the, the writing of this reversal, he's showing the reversal, right? It's happening in reverse order. So this is a very significant turning point in Joel's message. Okay, God himself steps in. And by the way, brothers and sisters, you need to understand when you are in sin and crisis hits your life and you see your sin for what it is and you rend your heart, right? You tear your heart, you repent and come back to God. Do you know God himself steps in? He's not just going to send me or somebody as a messenger. I mean, he may, you know, use me or whoever. But God himself, by the Spirit, through the Word of God, in your own seeking after him, he himself will step in. And he will, himself will begin to speak to you words of restoration. He's going to begin to reverse that judgment. And so this is what God does to the Israelites. But it's beautiful. 
But if you begin to look at that passage, our passage, verse 18 through 27, God talks about the reversal of judgment. Then he talks about the reign of grace that will come down and then the redemption of their shame. Okay, so we're gonna look at this next Sunday. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, for your beautiful, beautiful gospel message. And that's what the book of Joel really is. It's your gospel message. That Jesus, for so many people, whether non-believer or believer, who have utterly wasted their lives or are currently wasting their lives, rather than looking at the promises that you have given, looking at the great salvation that you provided through the death of your son, and now living lives of the upward call, running hard the race you've laid out. People who don't know any of that, or who choose to ignore that, and have wasted their years, There is still hope. There's still great hope. God, you say, I will come and restore all the years that the locusts have eaten, that your sin and the consequences of sin have eaten. So Lord God, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful gospel message. Lord, you are awesome. And so Lord God, help us to be reflective. Help us to examine ourselves. Are we wasting our lives? Are we living wasted lives? Day after day, week after week, year after year? Are we busy doing nothing? Building something, busy, building, building, but building what? Things that will not last. So Lord God, please help us to examine ourselves and to come back to you and to begin to build our houses on the rock, not on the sand, but on the rock. So Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord as we do every Sunday. We're gonna spend a moment responding to his word. But God is so gracious. He is always about restoring. He is always about reversing the judgment that we frankly brought upon our own lives. God is always about renewing. But let's just come before him right now. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you, confess. Confess to God. If that really is you, if if any of those people describe you, the old person who wasted all their years growing old without God, the drunkard living for their appetites day after day, the priests and ministers who are so religious, but for what? They have religion, but not God. And the workers, the farmers who are just so busy, right? Building, going after their goals, getting degrees, building businesses, making money. But none of it will last. People like Leonard Wolf. I should have just played ping pong all those years. It would have had the same result. Whichever one describes you, let's just come before the Lord. Let's confess. Let's ask him, please, Lord, I don't want to waste another day. And that's my prayer. Even as I was preparing this message this week, I, 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 I felt convicted myself. It's like, Lord, I don't want to waste another day because I have. I've wasted many days in my life. Lord, have mercy on me. That was my prayer, literally. 
sitting at my desk on the computer reading these commentaries and looking at this passage. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Maybe that'll be your prayer. Let's just come before him right now. Thank you.